effective executive, New York Times bestseller book from a couple of years ago, wrote, Anytime that you see someone with great strengths, they also have great weaknesses. Hebrews chapter 10, in God's Hall of Fame, this individual appears. His story is in the Old Testament, and you might turn there, Judges chapter 13. We started in Judges, we're going to end in Judges. Judges chapter 13. We all admire strong people, don't we? We like to see someone who is strong. My good friend Scott, his goal in life was to bench press 400 pounds 40 times on his 40th birthday. Um, I don't know if he made that goal or not, but we used to work out together, and he could bench 450 pretty easily. He was quite a stout guy. It was pretty impressive to watch him work out. Uh, We like people who are strong intellectually. They can figure things out. We like people who are strong financially, who know how to handle money. We like people who are strong in communication skills. Uh, We like people who have the ability to portray other people well. We call them actors. We, 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 We like to see people with great strengths. We like to see people who have things figured out. They're calm. They seem to have it all together. They don't crumble in a crisis. But you can be very strong in one area and be very weak in another area. You can be strong physically and be weak spiritually. And that is the case of our boy Samson, the strongest man who ever lived physically, incredibly strong. Spiritually, he is a weakling. Physically, is a Rambo of the Old Testament. Spiritually, he's a Pee Wee Herman of the Old Testament. Samson illustrates this. We've seen it. Presidents who can't control their passions and their life falls apart. Multi-millionaire athletes who sign triple-digit million contracts and are financially broke within five years. Celebrities. Tremendous strength, but a flaw in their character. And that's what we see in Samson. The question is, can it be avoided in my life? How can I be a stronger person spiritually? So let's look at Samson's life. Here's Samson. He is a superstar for God. The Bible says in Judges chapter 13 and verse 24, The woman bore him a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. From birth, Samson was a special child. He had everything going for him. Not only did he have strength, he had a godly family. He had God's blessing on his life. That's what the text says, and he's supernaturally strong. He would have been voted most likely to succeed in his high school yearbook. He had unlimited capabilities. But he blew it, and he lost it all. He becomes a broken man, and his life becomes a sad commentary of what can happen when you're your own worst enemy. So here's Samson. What happened to him? Raised in a godly home. As a young boy, he accepted the Nazarite vow. 
which meant he was completely dedicated to God. But he rebelled. He went his own way. He did his own thing. And in Samson's life, you see three things to avoid. Three things to avoid. In the process, three lessons to learn. So let's look at them. Number one, the first thing we need to learn to avoid, the first thing that will make us weak, self-indulgence will weaken your life. I'm talking about self-control here. I'm talking about undisciplined living. It doesn't matter what we're talking about. Anything left out of control in your life will weaken your life. It may be the way you spend your money. It can be sex, it can be food, it can be alcohol, it can be drugs, it can be emotions, it can be time management, it can be anger management. Anything left out of control will weaken your life. The truth is, everybody has a pet indulgence. Everybody does. Something they like that they know is not good for them. It is no secret what Samson's was, is it? Women, there's no doubt about that. He's a playboy of the Bible. He's sensuous. He's impulsive. In, in three chapters, Samson will have three, maybe four women. We're not exactly sure about the fourth. His life is a pathetic cycle, and he never learns his lesson. In chapter 14, we have the setup of the story, the first encounter. <clears throat> Samson went down to Timnah and saw a young Philistine woman. I mean, she was non-Jewish. She was another nation. God wanted his people to marry and be involved with only people who were spiritually Jews. I know that. He wanted to protect his line to bring Christ through faith. I know it's not physically Jew because you could be proselyted into it and be a part of that family. So it's not that. It's not God honored the Jews because they had Jewish blood in them, as some people today are saying. What it is, is the faith of these people that he was trying to protect so that when Jesus came, there would be this people of faith. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. And there you go. There's Samson's life in a nutshell. I saw, I liked, get her. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your own relatives, your own people? Must you go to an uncircumcised Philistine to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She is the right one for me. One translation says, She pleases me. I think that's the New King James translation. The New American Standard, I know a couple of you have that. I think it says, She looks good. All right, kind of getting down the basics there, aren't we? And that's the way Samson lived his life, self-indulgence. All he considered was his own pleasure. She looks good, I want her. It didn't matter that God had said don't marry an unbeliever. It didn't matter he had taken a vow that he was not to marry an unbeliever. It didn't matter that his parents warned him don't marry an unbeliever. You're looking for trouble if you do. Surely there's a woman from your people. It didn't matter. He wanted her. She turns me on. She pleases me. I've got to have her. And the typical excuse for self-indulgence, it's just a little thing. Just this one time. It, it can't hurt. It's a small thing. Um, 
let's imagine that you go out here to the ocean. Stop me when I'm there. But you go out here to the ocean. One of those big cruise ships comes in. Okay? They, they do come here, don't they? Right? Huh? They come here. Why don't you have me pointing there then? They come, uh, okay. And you and your spouse get on one of those big cruise ships. And um, the boat starts pulling out. And you're a couple knots out to sea. And the captain comes over the intercom and says, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the cruise ship. I don't want to upset any of you. I wanted to wait until we're offshore, but I need to let you know this boat has a, a, a leak in it. It's, it's, it's all right. Don't worry about it. It's only one, and it's just a small leak. It's just a little leak. We're going to pursue, proceed with the cruise. What would you say? Get me back to land. I mean, I'm not going to get on this thing. Get me off. A little leak can sink a big ship. When you have a leak, a leak is a leak. It doesn't matter the size. The only question is, when? That's a question in Samson's life. When? When is this going to happen? How do I handle the little things in my life? Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. Some translations say do not be misled. Remember that you cannot ignore God and get away with it. A man always reaps just the crop he sows. If a man sows to his own desires, he will, get, he will be planting seeds of evil and will harvest a spiritual a, a reap a harvest of spiritual decay and death. Little things. What is the lesson? So to each of these points there's a lesson. Here's a lesson. Strong people discipline their desires. Strong people discipline their desires. They don't just let it all hang out. They don't say it's only a little thing. Paul says in First Corinthians chapter six and verse twelve. I will not be brought into the power of any. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28 says, listen to it. Anyone who lacks self-control is like a city whose walls are broken down. What an illustrious phrase, a city without walls, a city without protection. The Bible says a person who is undisciplined in his life is defenseless. The second thing we see in Samson's life, Bitterness will weaken your life. Bitterness will weaken your life. When you look at the life of Samson, <laughs> Samson is, is always in a rage. He's always out of control. He's always angry. He's always upset about something. And he always thinks he has a right to be upset about something. And he's always acting violently toward people. The last few verses of chapter 14 it says he burned with anger and he went out and he killed 30 men just for their clothes. That's a hot temper. Chapter 15, verse 3. Samson says, This time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. 
Verse 7, Samson said, Since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will not cease. Verse 11, As they did to me, so I have done to them. Here's Samson's modus operandi. You did it to me, I'm going to do it to you. But I'm going to do it worse. Samson is not an actor, he's a reactor. You can spend your whole life reacting to others. I merely did what they did to me. They hurt me first. You know how bad they hurt me. You don't know what they cost me. You don't know what it did to me. You know, you want to know something? It's weakening your life. You're letting them, are you listening? You're letting them control you. It's making you weak. I was hurt several years ago very deeply by an event in my life someone took some money from me and everybody I talked to and I talked to a lot of people told me I was right about my anger everybody I mean you're right you, they shouldn't have done they shouldn't have treated you that way that's no reason they, except one person my friend brother Bud every time I would say it he'd say you know there's nothing you can do about it you just need to move on but I didn't. I got more and more angry, more and more bitter. I'm not an angry, bitter person. I'm a happy person, but I got bitter and angry. And then one Sunday, I walked home from. I got home from church and walked in my house. And that afternoon, I checked my email and I had an email from a person. I don't know if it was a man or a woman. It was anonymous. I'm not sure how you send anonymous emails. But it said, "Your preaching has become angry." And you know what happened? Immediately, I was angry. <laughs> and then I thought about it. And they're right. You know what I'd done? I'd let my hurt turn to anger. My anger turned to bitterness. And you know what the Bible calls bitterness? A root. You know what a root does? It grows. It affects more than where it starts. And my anger was toward this person. But then it started affecting these relationships. And then it started affecting my preaching. And then it started affecting my family. Bitterness doesn't work. Man, you're going to get hurt in life. I told the preachers yesterday, it goes with the territory. Don't think, oh, I can't believe they did that. They're going to do it. You're going to get hurt. It's not a matter of if. It's, it's a matter of when. What are you going to do when it happens? Think of this, this desire to get even all the time. It's, it's a waste of time to get even. The whole time you're stewing and brewing about it, the person you're upset with may not even know you're upset. They may not even know you're mad. It may be they're dead and you're mad at your parents for something they did. It may be they've forgotten about it. Resentment always hurts you more than it hurts the person you're angry with. Two, it's a waste of energy. You're spending all that energy and you're worn out because you're frustrated all the time and you're angry all the time and you're emotionally disturbed and you're fatigued and depressed and you're tired all the time. And third, it's a waste of creativity. Most of us, when we get angry, we get pretty creative about ways to get revenge. Look at Samson's life. He's pretty creative. 
chapter 15, verses 3 through 5. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. Then Samson took, uh, went and caught 300 foxes. That took some time. And put torches, took torches, and turned the foxes tail to tail, and put a torch between each pair of tails. And then he set the torches on fire. <laughs> I bet the foxes love that. And then he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and olive groves. <laughs> That's pretty creative, isn't it? <laughs> Somebody said it was a, the first taillights. Y'all are, y'all are tired, I know. <clears throat> He's creative. Uh, look at chapter 15, verses 14 and 15. The Philistine armies come against him looking for a fight. He looked around and finding the fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. <laughs> Pretty creative. He looks around and there's the jawbone of a donkey on the ground. He kills a thousand men with it. I heard about a lady who asked another lady at church, would God ever use the jawbone of a donkey today? The other lady said, our church uses one every other Sunday. <clears throat> the fact is, when you get angry, you get resentful. You're wasting your creativity. Creativity that can be used for good and not for evil. Point number two, the lesson, strong people restrain their reactions. Strong people restrain their reaction. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22 says... A hot-tempered man starts fights and gets into all kinds of trouble. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 32 says, It is better to be slow-tempered than to be famous and to have self-control than to control an army. You hear that? Better have self-control than control an army. Alexander the Great had conquered the world by the time he was in his mid-30s. Tremendous military mind. Hair trigger temper. He got angry at one of his closest friends, his most important general, and in anger he had him killed. And he cried out, I've conquered the world, but I can't conquer my own soul. Proverbs 29, verse 12, verse 11 says, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a man of understanding controls himself. Bitterness will weaken your life. Number three, Carelessness will weaken your life. Now we're going to get to the rough part here. Because it's easy to be careless with our life, our skills, and our abilities. When you look at Samson, he's careless. Chapter 13, verse 3. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, you are now barren. You've borne no children, but you will conceive and bear a son. Now here's the Nazarite vow. Therefore now please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink, to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb and shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So Samson at some point embraces this Nazarite vow as a child. It included no alcohol, a vow of a special kind of diet, No foreign women, a vow to never cut his hair. 
They were cutting his hair was not the secret to his strength. The secret to his strength was the commitment and not cutting his hair reminded him of that commitment. Samson, you're different. Every time you look in the mirror, you'll know you're different. You're dedicated to God. So the strength of Samson is in his commitment. And are you aware today that the strength of you is in your commitment. The problem with Samson is he totally forgot his commitments, his vows. He compromised. He sold out. And the mistake in Samson's life is he refused to take his vows seriously. He refused to take himself seriously and refused to take God seriously. Samson thought it was a big game. All in fun. All a good time. It's irresponsible. He toyed with temptation. How close can I get to the fire and not get burned? So we come to chapter 16, or as a friend of mine calls it, the barber shop episode in the life of Samson. You know, they did a survey not too long ago on a nationwide radio show who are the most famous couples in history. Number three on the list. Samson and Delilah. People who don't know the Bible know those names. Samson had a weakness for women. Three or four different women in three chapters. Samson, Delilah comes along, and she decides to find out his strength. The Philistines come to Delilah and say, if you'll find out the strength of your husband, we'll give you a thousand pieces of silver. Somebody said that's worth around $35,000 today. Excuse me, but here's a trailer trash woman offered $35,000. What do you think she's going to say? So, chapter 16, verse 4, Samson starts teasing her. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman from the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength. We'll give you a thousand shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength. Just out with it. Tell me why you're so strong. So Samson decides I'll play a game with her. Remember, he's not taking the vow seriously. If you bind me with seven fresh vines, thrones that have never been dried, I'll be weak like everyone else. So she puts them to bed. The men come in. They bind them. Delilah wakes them up. Honey, the Philistines are upon you. And they're all the enemies in the bedroom. And he bursts free. And the party's over. Serb Pro comes in and cleans up the house. And Delilah comes back to him a second time and says, Oh, honey, you've made me look so foolish. Please tell me the secret of your great strength. Samson said, it's new ropes. Bind me with new ropes and I'll be as weak as anyone else. I'll never be strong again. So she puts them to bed. She binds them with new ropes. Brings in the men, wakes them up. Honey, the enemy's here. He wakes up, sees the enemy, kills them, and he's set free again. Now, Samson's not too bright. Wouldn't you think he'd start catching on? 
wouldn't you figure out if every night when we went to bed, your wife woke you up and there were, there were a bunch of uh, enemy army members in the bedroom ready to kill you, that something was up? I think you're smart enough to figure that out. But he's just playing a game. He's stronger than they are. Why not? Compromise a little at a time. She comes to him again. If you braid my hair with braids, seven braids, see what it's doing? Inching closer to the truth. Yeah, it does have something to do with his hair. He's skirting the edge. He's playing with fire. He knows what he's doing. He's careless. She puts him to bed, wakes him up. Enemy's there, kills the enemy. Comes back again. If my father-in-law says, my father-in-law is 87. Been preaching at the same church for 61 years. He's a contractor and a farmer and a preacher. And he said, Delilah turned on the waterworks. You know, a man is never weaker than when a woman is telling him how strong he is. Verse 16, And with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was, I love this phrase, tired to death. You ever been tired to death of hearing a woman talk? Don't answer. <laughs> These people know your wives. You ever been tired to death? He was tired to death. That was it. And the text says, so he told her everything. The problem is, Samson's life was compromised. This event didn't happen that day. This event happened years before. This episode is just the final straw of what's been going on all along. It wasn't overnight. He'd been toying with God's gifts all along. Verse 19. Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him and she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And I wonder if he thought same song, next verse. What's new? He just assumed his strength was still there. And he woke from his strength and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. And here's a sad, sad verse in the Bible. But he did not know the Lord had left him. How many lives is that true of? Unaware. They played around with sin for so long, weakening themselves little by little. Samson assumed he always would be strong. And the lesson here is, nobody plans to be a failure. And here's the final part of it. Because strong people keep their commitments. Nobody ever says, when they take that first drink, I plan on being a drunkard. Nobody. Nobody ever says when they steal that first little bit of money from their company or embezzle or dishonest on their taxes, I plan on stealing. 
Nobody ever says when they take that first touch toward that person they're attracted to that's not their spouse, I plan on leaving my spouse and being an adulterer. Nobody ever says, I'm going to be a drug addict someday. It starts with one little thing, with a little glance, one little word, one little encouragement, until somebody says, I never thought it'd be like this. I, I never thought I'd lose my health. I never thought I'd destroy my marriage. I never thought I'd lose everything. What happened? God's not here anymore. Strong people keep their commitments. They protect them. They guard them. They build a wall about them. They don't let them go slack. They're not careless. They're serious about their relationship with the Lord. You've heard those saying a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Let me add another statement. Your life is only as strong as your weakest commitment. What are you committed to? Where does your strength come from? Sadly, Samson was committed to one thing, his own happiness, his own pleasure. I'll do what I want to do. I'll take what I want to take. I'll do what feels good all the time. If I want to kill somebody, I'll kill them. If I want to take something, I'll take it. If I want to find a new woman, I'll find a new woman. If it feels good, do it. Totally undisciplined. Look at the tragic results, verse 21. Then the Philistines took him and put his eyes out and brought him down to Gaza and they bound him with bronze fetter, bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. Three-point sermon for you. Somebody said sin is binding, blinding, and grinding. The champion of Israel becomes a sideshow. You ever been to the circus? See the two-headed cow. See the woman with the beard. See the strong man that's weak. He lost it all. They put his eyes out. And it only happened once. It's only a little thing. It's not that bad. Everybody else is doing it. I'll be different. How is it this guy with so much potential, the makings of a superstar, a winner in life, ends up such a tragic loser because of selfishness, bitterness, and carelessness. But this story is like our other two stories we've told. There's an appendix to it. There's an afterthought. There's more to it. The story doesn't end. God never gave up on, Saul, on Samson. Samson gave up on God, but God never gave up on Samson. Verse 22. But, circle it, but the hair on his head began to grow after it had been shaved. Remember, the hair only represented his commitment, his promise, his strength, his vow. In prison, blinded, bound, used for what horses normally do, a sideshow, he began to reflect on his life. Lord, I've blown it. i made a royal mess of my life. And his hair began to grow. 
And apparently began to think, maybe, just maybe, God will give me another chance, a second chance. And the good news of the gospel is that God does give second chances. And Samson came and he prayed and he repented and he got right. And Samson's greatest victory came on the last day of his life. They take Samson, all the military officials, all the friends of the Babylonian Empire, all the important dignitaries that are Philistines. They take Samson and they they bring them in a pagan temple with all the pagan images. And they put them between two pillars up in front of everybody where everybody can laugh at the, the strong man of Israel, the one who killed so many of our military leaders. And Samson prayed, Lord, just in my last effort, just this one last time, let me do what I was born to do, to begin to be, defeat the Philistines. And began to push and to strain with every fiber of his being, and he pushed the two pillars out, and the ceiling collapsed, and the military might of the country was put out that day. There's something comforting about the life of Samson. There's something neat about him being in Hebrews chapter 11. You expect Moses and Noah, even Gideon to be there. But here's a guy who makes it into God's hall of fame that until the very last was a failure. It's comforting. You mean that 89-year-old woman that I... I baptized, we'll get into heaven just like that young man that gave his whole life to Christ. That's the economy of God. And isn't it beautiful that he's the judge and the rewarder? I may have blown it. You may have blown it. Your life may be a mess. You may not know what the next day holds. You may have blown your relationships. You may be morally bankrupt. You may have totally destroyed your reputation with a bad habit or a bad decision. And that will happen to at least one in this room if it hasn't happened already. And God says you can start anew. That's the good news. And Samson on his last day did an act of faith that God said is worthy to put him in the hall of fame. And he's there right beside David and Jephthah and Joseph and all those other people. I don't, I don't care what you've done in your past. I don't care how bad you've blown it morally, spiritually. You may be haunted by memories. You may have gotten addicted to something. You may have broken up your marriage. How could God ever use me? And Samson screams out to you from the pages of Hebrews chapter 11, God gives second chances. Or maybe you haven't. And if you haven't, I want to assure you, Satan is out to get you. He knows your weakness. And if he can, he will. And it'll start with the, what's in, out of control in your life. Or it may start with bitterness in your life. Or it may start with selfishness, self, uh, selfishness in your life. Remember these words. God gives second chances. 
and it will to you as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your servant, Samson. Thank you for these individuals we've looked at the last couple of days. And Father, I'm thankful for these men here in Alaska for their desire to serve you, for the time they've given, for the joy they have with each other. Increase it in a manifold manner. And when one stumbles, may the other come to their rescue and their aid. And may we be strong together. Thank you, Father, for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been a joy being with you. Thank you for your kindness and for your faith.